there's something about home. There's something about where you're from or where you live. Home. It feels different. It feels better. It feels right. Welcome to The Shallow End. I'm your host, Dave Schwartz, and today we're talking to a collector whose hometown sparked something that has grown into one of the most thoughtful, most impressive, and most intentional collections on Instagram. His name is Kevin, but you might know him better as Colorado Collector. We talk about his attachments to Denver, and especially the Colorado Rockies. And I really hope you notice that it's not always the biggest and best and most expensive players who make up his PC. Yeah, over time, his PC has grown to include some monster cards. Scroll through his IG feed, and you're liable to get a little FOMO. I did. That's cool. But in this conversation, listen to some of the players he talks about with reverence and appreciation. A lot of them are not in the Hall of Fame. Hell, most of them are not in the Hall of Fame. They're just guys. Guys who were memorable to Kevin just because they wore the jersey of his favorite team from his favorite sport. The Colorado Collector is now on the shallow end. Enjoy the conversation. All right, so very excited to welcome in Kevin, the Colorado Collector here onto the shallow end. Kevin, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Dave. You've got a tremendous collection, and we're going to talk about some of those areas that you collect. But first, for those of you, uh, or for those who don't know you, why don't you just introduce yourself, who you are, what you collect, and your your time in the hobby. Sure. Um, Kevin, Colorado Collector on Instagram. Uh, I live in Denver, have a family. Hobby um, is obviously consumes some of my time outside of my day-to-day life. And that became a thing during COVID, like a lot of people. Um, I grew up collecting cards. You know, I probably, I think the first set I had was like 1991 Tops. And I'm pretty sure um, at that point, my brother, he's three years older. He was big into baseball cards. I remember really, it really probably caught on in like 1994 or so. So I would have been eight years old. Um, Like 1994 Top Stadium Club, 1994 Tops Finest were like the big sets that I remember going to card shows and just drooling over counting the quarters in my pocket, trying to buy a pack of, um, and I kind of shelved all that, you know, probably late middle school, early high school or something, and never really thought about baseball cards again. And then during COVID or just ahead of COVID, my parents, um, had brought out, you know, they'd kind of cleared out their house, they'd moved and they, they just sort of brought several boxes of my stuff that got put away and I didn't think about it. And during COVID, I think like, you know, a lot of people in the hobby today, it kind of came back and curiosity got the best of me. Um, And I had a three-year-old and a newborn effectively at that time. And so a little bit of cabin fever. And so cards became just a good way to escape um, since it was tough to find other ways to keep busy, um, as everybody knows. So, um, you know, it's, it's funny to think about since in that small amount of time since 2020, my interests have 
have generally varied. Uh, there's some consist consistencies, obviously the Rockies and Broncos and Avalanche and some of the players that I like. Um, but I kind of dabbled in modern cards and I, you know, I still have some, but my focus really shifted back to kind of my roots, which is the stuff I loved as a kid. So I've become more of a focused 90s collector. And then I have sort of select pockets of modern cards that um, I've kind of learned over the years what, you know, what I'm willing to pursue and where I need to sort of uh, stay out of the fray. <laughs> and four years doesn't seem like a lot of time, but in this hobby, it is, it is kind of a lot of time. Yeah. Where were eBay you? history suggests otherwise. <laughs> yes. So when you first jumped back in, like so much of us did during the, the pandemic, what were you collecting at first? Like what was the first thing that attracted you when you got back in and you were getting cabin fever and just needed to do something else with your brain? What got you back into it first? What kind of card? Um, it was it was Rocky stuff. Um, as a Rockies fan, it's a very painful history. Um I think I was enamored by just like the the new set designs and stuff. And so at that time, like 2020 tops was kind of the new thing. And so I had bought some of that. I was curious about breaks and things like that. Um, and, you know, I pretty quickly realized that was a slippery slope and maybe not the most prudent way to go about um, finding the things you like. And so, um, yeah, 2020 tops was, you know, I was kind of dabbled in chasing some of the rookies and some of that stuff. And, I think I pretty quickly realized that, um, and this is kind of the, the folly of modern cards for me and as a Rockies collector is a lot of that is just gambling. I mean, it's, you know, there's, there's intriguing things about the players, but it costs a lot of money when it's popular players and things. And then just overnight, right. That can, it's more than likely to just lose value. And so I've kind of found that collecting the players in a lot of cases, players that are either they're at the late stage of their career, their quantity is known or their quality value is sort of known and established um, or retired players where again, there's somewhat of an establishment. So the pricing isn't such a mystery about stuff. You're not having to buy at some crazy peak. Um, I'm just not into the prospecting thing. And so um, at that time though, what I really started to latch on to a, a big Trevor story fan, um, which that became that's a funny hobby journey that I went on. Um, I probably was at one point like, you know, I don't know that I had necessarily any of his top five or 10 biggest cards per se, but I probably had one of, if not the best Trevor Story collections out there for a while. <laughs> um, and then I've moved a lot of it and, you know, guy gets tricked, guy gets hurt, guy gets traded, and it's a little less exciting to be a Trevor Story collector. Um, when at the end of the day, I'm just a Rocky, I'm just a sad Rockies fan. <laughs> and that's the thing, when you collect players who, are retired or more established, there's a less likely chance of that happening. But right. story was coming up on his, you know, his first big free agency, right? And then yep. goes to Boston and you're left with this Trevor story pile. Do you have any of it left or what? Did you I do. do. Yeah. I have, I have a handful left. Um, but, and, and what's funny is like, I ended up moving a lot of it and kind of knowing like, you know, I was selling for pennies on the dollar of what it paid for it. And that was okay. And the irony, I think of my, collecting experience by definition collecting is literally like gathering things and for me when i get too much it overwhelms me it stresses me out uh and so i kind of get to a point where i need to sort of cull things um and in a way it's kind of how i move up into bigger cards as i move on from something and so i'll sell it and then use those funds to level up into something else 
Do you get those feeling? I'm sorry. Do you get those talking about you know when things get to be too much, you get kind of jittery. Is that something that you can actually feel? Because for some people, it's really visceral. You can you just it becomes almost untenable. Yeah. Right. And is well, that what you feel when it's too much? Yeah. And and sometimes I'll see somebody like oh I, you know I there's people out there that maintain like a hundred cards like that's their collection, you know, and they pick a hundred cards. And how successful are those people at maintaining that? I don't know. In the back of my brain, though, like I'd like to get to a point. It doesn't necessarily have to be an arbitrary number like a hundred cards. For me, it's more about like volume of space. Like if it can fit in one storage unit or you know whatever it is, um, like one little cabinet or something. But when it when it starts to become like filling a closet, I'm like, this is too much. Um, it gets hoardy, <laughs> and that starts to give me anxiety. So I kind of like to I like I'm generally pretty uh, intentional about organization of things, and so when it just gets to be too much and I can't find stuff. Uh, it kind of, I don't know, it becomes, I don't know what the word is, but it just becomes too much. <laughs> if nothing else, I think you've coined a new phrase with hoardy. Yeah, and yeah, hoardy, that's right. Stick with that. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about the sort of the processes and everything else that goes into collecting a region. There, there's so much that we could talk about with you, with your collection. We could talk for hours, but we won't mm -hmm. do that to you, I promise. But before <laughs> we get to the Colorado aspect of it, you mentioned that you got your first packs around 91 and then really started locking in around 94, right? So yeah. 93 is when those first refractors came out. Yeah. Finest, right. There was basketball and baseball or baseball, and basketball. And then I think football was a year later. Mm -hmm. So some, I guess it sounds like some of your first memories were of the shiny stuff. Mm -hmm. Did you ever get some of those early refractors or were you more collecting just sort of the base based on what a kid could afford? Yeah, I mean, you know, I it's funny. I remember I think I probably bought like two packs of 1994 Tops Finest. And what's funny is like, if you know what a refractor looks like, it's very evident that it is a refractor. Um, but I was convinced at the time that I had pulled like a Ryan Sandberg refractor. And it was like my precious, you know, card in my collection for a long time. And, you know, it was probably, I remember, I, you know, probably like sixth grade or something like that. And I was trading cards with a friend or whatever, and they had a refractor. And I'm like, oh, like this card that I thought that it was like so treasured is actually not a refractor at all, um, which is pretty funny. But, I, you know, I was generally like aware of that stuff walking around, but I didn't, you know, I, at eight years old, it was more about like, okay, I have $11 in my pocket. How many packs can I, I was just a fiend for like opening packs and stuff. I was the same way, just a few years. Yeah older but uh, sort of the same way you know and to be fair to young you there are still people now who on ebay are selling packs of or singles of 93 94 finest that yeah. label them as refractors when they're not yeah yeah um and some are, are doing it to be devious uh, yeah. and some are i think honestly you don't know uh i had somebody sell me a reggie miller 93 finest once and they said it was a refractor and the picture looked like it might be and then it came yeah. Yeah. and i said this isn't a refractor. <laughs> yeah. And, but he was very apologetic, very genuine. And he said, I'm yeah. sorry. He refunded my money instantly. And then he said, can you explain to me <laughs> how yeah. I can tell? And then yeah. I, you know, gave a little, you know, and it's funny those years because they didn't have any indication on them otherwise. Right. You know, right. later yeah. they put the little R it says refractor. Yeah. Under it, but. So as you are now building out, you're back in it's 2020 and you're starting to now build out these collections of, Colorado of these of these Denver athletes of the Avalanche, the Rockies, mm -hmm. and the Broncos. 
how did your thinking evolve from did you just want to go for certain players at first or were they certain sets or cards or where did you begin with cutting yeah I th- you know it started with like trevor story and nolan arenado and then i quickly after being um I, I, the right word isn't necessarily burned but you know those guys left um under different circumstances and uh it's a tough franchise to be a fan <laughs> you know at the end of the day like their odds were good the arenado thing they really screwed up and trevor story they also screwed up um but it it just like once those guys actually left i realized like oh okay i actually feel a little bit less passionate i mean i'm generally more a fan of players than the teams like when i'm really rooting um i really get behind certain individuals i think i can just like i feel like i relate to them as people in some ways right um but from a collecting standpoint it becomes a little less like i have zero interest in the cardinals in fact i kind of rather loathe the Cardinals. <laughs> and so it becomes, you know, it's like, oh man, like it's same with the Red Sox. I'm like, I don't really want to root for either one of these teams. I'll check the box score and root for these guys personally. But it, again, it's like totally changes the the whole vibe of it. Um, and so it, kind of the next place I pivoted to, and now I think is kind of like an era of baseball cards that's sort of slept on. But Trevor Story, or I mean, uh, Troy Tulowitzki and Carlos Gonzalez are like, you know, on the Mount Rushmore of Rockies and you know, probably one and two of my all-time favorite Rockies. And those guys, well, their careers fizzled in different ways and they played on other teams. And, like, you know, Tulo had some limited success in Toronto, but by and large, like, they're known for their time in Colorado. Um, and the era of baseball card that kind of spanned their careers is sort of that, like, 05 to, you know, call it 2015, 2016, when their relevance sort of dropped off. Um and that era of cards is sort of before the recent boom of parallels and all this stuff. And so it's actually really challenging. And I think both those guys probably had a lot of like quote unquote super collectors in their time. And I think some of those folks are just still, you know, they've passed away and their cards are locked up somewhere or they're just clinging to them. It's really tough to find their stuff. Um, so that that's kind of where I went to next before I started to kind of delve back into the 90s stuff, um, you know, which kind of started with like, oh, I'll buy a box of like 94 Stadium Club for 30 bucks because it's 30 bucks, but the nostalgia is worth it. And then Slippery Slope. And now, you know, I'm into PMGs and all the stuff that gets more and more expensive. But um, there's a reason for that because they're really, I kind of view each little card as art, right? And they're really visually stunning. So, right. So you mentioned Cargo, right? Uh, Tula Whiskey, Todd Helton, certainly from yeah. that era as well. Yeah. And it was weird. There was that period of the early 2000s where, you know, Tops had its chrome gold, but it wasn't numbered to 50 yet. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the black, and then there was the reds that were sort of all over the place with numbers. Yeah. And then, like you said, until, until that 2015 period. I just realized as well that right around the period where you said you started collecting, it was right when the Rockies began in 93. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I mean, the timing was just perfect so you getting into cards the first time aligns exactly with the rockies franchise beginning mm-hmm. guys like bichette mm-hmm. greg fawn yep andres galarraga yep how have you gone back or have you gone back to try to collect some of their cards as well yeah that's been more like set driven i would say um you know i've been mostly focused on like i built out the 99 metal universe pmg team set and i'm working on the 98 i'm like a couple cards away um 
and then I've recently started dabbling in like essential credentials and stuff, which is, you know, it's late in that market. It's tough to get in. Um, and I've missed on, you know, a couple of the Rockies over the years and now the prices are crazy. And every time I tell myself like, oh, I'll just like wait for one, the price get, it climbs and climbs and I just don't pull the trigger. Um, but it's, again, it becomes one of those things where like you, you, there's different ways to focus on collecting. And so you can be a player collector, but the folly with that is like, where do I draw the line? There's so many cards out there. Um, and again, when you go back to like the hoarding feeling, like, do I need to buy all this stuff? Just, you know, it's like, this is a dollar, that's $4, that's $3. Pretty soon it's hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And then it's like, now I just have all this stuff that I don't find myself necessarily like appreciating. It's more about like, oh, I feel like I have to have every little thing. And I kind of don't like going to that place. Um, and so I've tried to, whether it's player collecting or team collecting or set collecting, I've tried to really like limit it. Um, and sometimes that's iterative, right? So I'll go down a road and then decide like, I have too many different projects in the works. I need to abandon a few of them to kind of fully commit to some others. And I'm sure that's probably pretty consistent with most collectors sort of methodologies. But, um, and I think the, what really took me to the nineties was, and I'm about to digress on like a random story here, but like 1999 tops, as you may have noticed, is like a pretty big theme in my collecting. Um, and so I, you know, I was born in Denver, but I grew up largely in the Bay area. Um, and we moved there when I was in middle school. And so my older brother, when we moved from Colorado was a Colorado sports fan. And my dad is actually an Indians fan or guardians fan. And so I kind of grew up, um, rooting for the Rockies, but primarily rooting for the Indians, which in the nineties was a thrilling team to root for. Um, and then growing up in the Bay area, I kind of learned to loathe the giants because, you know, there was a lot of fanfare about them and the San Francisco fanfare is somewhat insufferable. It's like a very entitled sort of, um, fan base. And so all my friends are like giants fans. And, you know, for a time, my dad had season tickets and we were going to games and I was watching during the Barry Bonds, like home run chase years and stuff, which was all super cool, but it was funny to kind of be like a lurking Rockies fan at the time, um, when the Rockies were not terribly relevant. Um, but my, my dad kind of has the classic story where I think when he went to college, his mom had thrown his baseball cards out. And so when I was in late middle school, he started, you know, it was like early eBay years of the late nineties. He was like dabbling in building some sets. And so he built like 1955 tops, all American and 1956 top sets. And he built the, he was like obsessing over, you know, PSA grades. And so at one time he had like a top 10 on the PSA registry, 1956 top set. And I think it's still in like the forties. I looked like a year or two ago. Um, and he still has it and it's super cool. But at that time, like, you know, he was kind of having this baseball card revival and I was probably closer to phasing out. And I think, um, it was kind of a way for all of us to do something together. And so 1999 tops, it was the year that there was the Sabi Sosa and Mark McGuire home run chase cards. And so we were like driving all over the Bay area, buying boxes of 99 tops to build those sets together. And I, you know, it, it was super fun. And, um, I don't think I'd really thought much about it. And then again, when I kind of went back through my stuff during COVID, that design just is like, it kind of defines collecting for me. That was just like formative, a formative experience. Um, and I had one of those sets when I went into it. And so then I was like, oh man, it'd be kind of fun to like build the refractor set from Topps Chrome of that year. And there's two of those per box and it's a 461 card set. And so it's like a pretty big undertaking. And I actually just recently completed that. 
and it and along the way i decided oh i'll collect every refractor parallel of every possible insert from that set <laughs> so and I'm, I'm like a hand i'm like seven cards away from having a master refractor parallel set with like one exception which is the nolan ryan autographs that were like one in a billion packs um but that's kind of what led me down back into the 90s was in 98 99 are like incredible years for you know baseball card parallels and inserts and stuff like that so so do you consider yourself a completionist I do, which is why I'm careful about how many pursuits, knowing that like I, it'll, it'll bother me. <laughs> and so um, I, I try to be careful about how deeply I commit to things. Um, so. It also sounds like you'd like to give yourself a challenge here, right? So you've yeah. got the base up, you get up, but you want to go for the refractors and all and of, of all that and all the inserts and everything else. And mm -hmm. now you're in the essential credentials as opposed to, well, 1999 was a special time for me. I'm just going to go get the set. You, you've got a separate challenge in there mm -hmm. as well. Does that make it more fun for you? Yeah. Well, there's like an allure, right. To things that have like rarity. Um, and I mean, the refractors, right. Like they're just more visually appealing also. Um, like if you just hold like a base card or a top base tops chrome card, they're very interesting and the design is nice, but the refractor really jumps out at you. Um, and I think of all the years of tops chrome refractors, like, you know, 90s, they're all pretty shiny, but 99 has like really, really good shine to them. Um, and so I think the combination of knowing there was a challenge and knowing that it was like a long-term project um, was another thing that's like, you know, during COVID, it's like, I got nothing but time. So like, tracking some of these things down. Um, and along the way I passed on so many cause I didn't want to like overpay. Right. And so it's like, if I pay $3 for every card, it gets expensive for every comment. Right. So I, you know, I was trying to find everything under a dollar 50, all the, anything I deemed like not a star, which proved really difficult. Um, and there were a couple that took me again, like I only completed this a couple months ago and it's like complete no names, um, that just took me forever to track down. How, how, what kind of relationships have you established? What kind of methods have you developed to track down cards, Denver athletes or otherwise, uh, of sets or of runs that you're going for where you've seemingly have hit, I don't want to say a dead end, but you've yeah. hit some problematic areas where you're just not quite sure where to go next. Yeah. That's been the other fun thing too about Instagram is like when I created an Instagram just for my baseball cards, my wife was like, what are you doing now? Actually, I didn't even tell her about it. She discovered it on my phone and was like, well, what is this? And I'm like, oh yeah, well, it's not what you think. Um, which was actually pretty funny, but that, that made it really fun because again, it's like a community on there and I'm in five or six different group chats that all kind of vary in different ways. Um, but I think when you kind of build those like hobby relationships and people get to know like what your taste is and what it isn't. Um, and there's a, there's a, actually an odd, like a bizarre number of Rockies collectors, um, for a team that's not always terribly relevant. There's a lot of people that are like really diehards. Um, and so even navigating that sometimes where you're chasing the same stuff can be a little bit tricky. Um, but I, I kind of found that if people know what you're looking for, like you don't necessarily want to blast it to the world because there's a lot of people out there that will then just go acquire it knowing you're chasing it and then try to just hang it over your head. Um, but I feel like as you start to get to know people and, and like 
you're helping each other out, usually people will do the right thing or people will pass on something to let you have a shot on it, knowing you really, really want it bad. And I, you know, I try to do those same things for other people where it's like, here's a card I might want to buy, but I know this person's looking for it. And, you know, it's not, it's low on my list. And so I pass it along and I think people appreciate that. And I think over time you start to build a good network of people like that. Um, And it, it gets easier to, to find stuff that way. Do you have a, a time or an example where somebody helped find a card for you that, or, or maybe uh, had an idea probably, where something might be and then and alerted you to it? Yeah, I mean, I, I probably have a million. Um, baseball card addict, Chris, uh, he just reached out today and was like, hey, I have this 2011 Red Refractor Troy Tulowitzki. Like, are you interested in that? And I'm like, I'm kind of working on that run and I don't think I have that one. So let me get back to you. But like, great, thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it, again, it's one of those things where I think like people kind of know what I'm after now. Um, and and if I start to think about, you know, there's probably 50 examples, right, where people have reached out and said, hey, I'm aware of this card, like, I'll put you in contact or um, no sticker autos, Isaac. Um, he's kind of known as like a, a flipper, but he's a really good guy. And he tracks down a ton of big cards. Um, and he actually like has a good appreciation for him too. And so he has helped um you know he was at like a show in dallas and I, i'm trying to remember what the card was i think it was like an alan and ginter trevor story card that was like a 101 glossy or something and he knew i was looking for stuff like that and he sent me a picture and he bought it for me there and then we made a deal later so stuff like that where it's like um you know i think people just see there's value in building those relationships and at the end everybody wins and then there's obviously a lot of examples of people not doing that but um i think that's just kind of life also <laughs> But that's great. And when you hear stories like that, you realize that they're parts of the hobby really move better when people do look out for each other. You know, totally. once, and, and like before you created your Instagram, you know, you had no way of, of connecting with certain people and just expands your network, but it's also more fun and alerts people to your collection and they, they help you, you help them. It's just a mm-hmm. nice way to get along. I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, does it ever get competitive? You know, where, you know, you mentioned that there's a, there's a surprisingly large number of Rocky diehard collectors. Have there, are there times when you spy a card and you know, somewhere else in the universe, somebody else is spying the card Yes, and it becomes almost like a race for finish. Yeah, it's happened. And I think, you know, there's a couple other Rockies collectors that I talked to pretty good amount. And, you know, there've been times where either we're all aware of a card and then somebody goes and grabs it and you can just sense there's like jealousy or I know I grab a card. Right. And it's like, and at the end of the day, a lot of times I, I like make a mental note of that. And if I down the road, I decide I'm ready to move on for, from it. I try to make it a point to go back and say, Hey, like, and, and I've made some huge trades with some of these guys too, where, um, you know, I kind of moved away from like game used patches and stuff like that um super tractor is a is the handle of another big rockies collector he's a local guy super super good guy we've met up and made some trades but um he and i made like a huge trade where he traded me you know 10 or 15 cards a bunch of rare super tractors and stuff and i traded him a bunch of rare game use stuff and i think for both of us it was kind of like he had stuff he knew i wanted and vice versa um and at some point it's just kind of like one of us just kind of has to be like hey do you want to start talking about stuff um and then um, 
trying to think of the other guy's handle. Um, his handle is something different than what it pops up, uh, but he's a huge Arenado collector, um, and he's out of the East Coast, and he and I have made some big trades too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where it's like it happens, but at the end of the day, I think people people get over it. <laughs> so, you know, the Rockies one World Series appearance haven't had a lot of team success, but have had a lot of really notable, successful, at least offensive players, right? Larry mm-hmm. Walker just got in the hall. Todd Helton just got in the hall. You also collect some Broncos, and the Broncos have a much more storied franchise. You got mm-hmm. John Elway, Peyton Manning more recently. What are some differences in collecting or going after players from a franchise like the Broncos and in a sport that like football where collecting can be more volatile, mm-hmm. sometimes more expensive versus baseball and the Rockies. Yeah. I, it's harder to find that stuff for the Broncos for sure. Um, I think I'm just a bigger baseball fan and it started with baseball cards for me. I did collect, you know, as a kid, I collected like Jerry Rice and stuff and I collected some football, but baseball was always like the passion. Um, and so I've always been a huge Broncos fan, but the irony of that is like for all the success they've had and how, you know, as big of a fan as I am and was of Peyton Manning and John Elway and all these guys, like my favorite quarterback, my favorite Broncos quarterbacks are Jake Plummer and like Jay Cutler, I think. (laughs) Um, And why that is, I don't like Jake Plummer was incredible. And he took us to the AFC championship game and he had a bad game and everybody like ran him out of town. And he's like, I'm just going to go play handball. Like, I think that's great. Um, I, maybe it was just their style of play. I don't know. But um, so in a way, like as much as I do enjoy sort of the like, you know, storied Super Bowl teams and stuff, um, it's more about it's like the set collecting and some of those players. But it's it's it doesn't quite if I was to start moving away from things like football would be the first to go between the two football and baseball for sure. It's so funny when you collect teams from a certain region or an area or a city, we just sort of latch on to some people who are local folk heroes and not necessarily the stars. And we were Mm -hmm. talking offline a little bit in the last couple of days. And before we went on the air here and started recording from St. Louis and sure. I love Pujols and Ozzie Smith, but the players like Willie McGee and Rick (laughs) and Keel and so right. That, get me really excited. Whereas someone like Paul Goldschmidt, I don't know why there's such an apathy there yeah. that I have toward him. He's, he's great, you know, potential hall of famer. Seems like yeah. a very nice human being, <laughs> you know, but it's very funny when you collect a region, right? There are players that you connect with that people outside of that area, maybe outside of Denver, outside of St. Louis don't always necessarily understand. Yeah. Or they would associate like the Cardinals with Paul Goldschmidt. Right. And it's right. like, what's this? You know, you're not interested in Paul, but I totally get that. And it's funny is like when he was here, I mean, I have great appreciation for Todd Helton, but when he was on the Rockies, like I didn't go to the rock, I didn't go to a game to see Todd Helton. Like I went to see Tulo or Cargo, right. Or like, you know, and I didn't live here at the time, but I would have gone to see like, you know, Larry Walker, or Dante Bichette or something. Well, the point being Galarraga probably Dante Bichette's another guy that like great career, interesting player, but Todd Houghton's like, you know, he did, he had good longevity. He was a great player, but he wasn't like thrilling. And maybe it's first baseman, right? Maybe there's a, maybe that's the Goldschmidt reason as well. I don't know. But um, 
yeah, it's just one of those things where he's he's kind of the face of the franchise, but at the same time, he's not at the pinnacle of my Rockies interest either. So how did you start to move into types of cards, like the essential credentials, right? How did you get from collecting regionally, which you still do? I mean, you still have the, mm-hmm. you have the, you have, I urge everyone to jump on Kevin's Instagram and, and just scroll and really appreciate the collection that he's built and that he shared. But Kevin, how did you start to move from 2020 when you were looking for Rockies to sets like the essential credentials and other ones that encompass more players beyond that area into sets that are so highly revered and regarded. Yeah. And I think that's like part of it's because I just, there's just a lot of players I appreciate, um, you know, grew up again, like my dad being an Indians fan, like Albert Bell was the Albert Bell and Manny Ramirez were like the coolest. Um, and some of that's because they're just like brash personalities, right? They're well known for their personalities. Um, and so, like, again, as I kind of got into that 99 stuff, McGuire and Sosa and, like, I mean, it's just the steroid era, which is, and, like, you know, on the pitcher side, too, it's, like, Clemens and Maddox and all these guys. Um, and so it was kind of an organic transition, I guess, to kind of start poking around. And, um, you know, Griffey, Bonds, all those, they, they're really expensive guys to pursue. But a lot of it, like, Rafael Palmero, like, that dude's probably, I mean – he was one of the best hitters of his generation. And I don't know if I know a single dedicated Raffi Palmero collector, uh, but he's got a lot of cool cards out there. <laughs> um, and like Juan Gonzalez, I know there's, you know, he's got more of a collector fan base, but like these guys aren't that expensive and, but they're in all of those sets. And so it's kind of a good way to get into some of those more interesting um, or more like revered and expensive parallels. Um, and once you start to do that and you get them in hand, it becomes more of a slippery slope. Um, and I mentioned earlier, like, I, I love opening stuff. I don't love opening newer stuff as much because again, it's just not a good value proposition really. And it's not really about value, but you kind of want to feel like you have odds of getting something exciting. <laughs> and when you just don't, that's a disappointment. But for a while, probably like 21, 22, um, I was, I realized like, it was pretty inexpensive still to buy some pretty nice nineties boxes. And so I kind of started hoarding all these cool nineties boxes. I got like 15 or 20 of them. And then over like a two month period, like the dam broke and I just started opening them, but I had an insane run of luck. And some of that was built out of, I was still working on the refractor set. And so I was buying 99. I bought like a case of um, 1999 tops Chrome series two. And in that case I hit two. So there's fortune 15, refractors are parallel in that and those fall like one per case and a half if i recall and i opened a pack and i had two of them in it and it was and it was i had carry wood already but it was carry wood and it was jeter who i needed which is a big one that's a you know 12 or 1300 card um so like again that is like ooh. um i had opened a box of 98 metal universe and didn't hit anything and then i i bought 10 loose packs for 100 bucks off ebay and I hit a Sean Estes PMG. And the irony of that is like Sean Estes was a giant when I was growing up. And I have a ball that I got signed by him at a game when I was in like high school. And now he's like, I think fairly close friends with a guy I grew up with. They like play golf and stuff together. So that was the universe telling me like, oh man, I should maybe start like collecting Sean Estes. And it turns out Sean Estes is in a lot of interesting like credentials, PMGs, all this stuff. So that's been a fun one where again, nobody is collecting Sean Estes, but 
I go out and I compete for that stuff and it's usually just against set collectors, but it's fun because it's like an inexpensive way to kind of get into some of those nicer parallels. I love two things about this. One is I love that you actually opened the wax. Yes. <laughs> I think that's great. You know, yes. wax was meant to be opened. Oh, it's, yeah. you know, I can remember being younger and seeing grown adults with unopened Star Wars action figures and thinking that was the most boring waste of time yeah, thing. What, totally. are you, what are you doing? Yeah. But I also love that it sounds like sets like, like those refractors you're talking about or the essential credentials. It's not, you're not just going after Griffey and Bonds. It sounds like you have an appreciation for those actual mm -hmm. sets. Am I reading that right? Oh yeah. Well, and like, again, it's, whether it's players, like whether it's experiences, Sean Estes, like I met on the warning track before a Giants game in 2002, probably. Um, and so then to like randomly pull him was like, oh, that's actually really cool. There's a lot of players in that set that would not be relevant to me in any way, shape or form. Um, but also just like, the again, like I, I have an appreciation for like the set design. And so to me, it's like the PMGs. And I think you know, a lot of people feel about those because again, they're just like beautiful cards, but it has to be visually appealing. And that's another thing about Todd Helton. <laughs> I'll digress, but like a lot of Todd Helton's cards are like, I don't know for whatever reason, like incredibly unflattering photos. He's got like quadruple chins. It's like weird angles. And I'm like, I actually don't really care about a card of a dude looking horrible on it, right? Like it might be a cool card, but if like the photo is not interesting, it's like harder for me to be interested in paying for that or like keeping it. Um, so it's kind of got to be the right combination of like either a set or the image or the player or all three. And it's like, if two of the three hit, then I kind of find myself focusing on those things. Isn't that funny? The way we're drawn to things like that and the way certain players just lack charisma on their cards. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I think I joked even re in a recent episode that Albert Pujols has one face for his cards. And yeah. whether he's muscled up in the early part of his career or he's got the dad bod in 22, yeah. his face just looks the same on every card. Uh, There's yeah. nothing interesting about it. Yeah. You know, whereas something like Yadier Molina, it, every card of his is a piece of art and he looks yeah. different and intense on every card. Yeah. And it's like, is that because Pujols just looks that way or isn't photogenic or is it just bad luck that like every photo is the same? But yeah. It's, it's an interesting, it's like Tim Salmon collector. Uh, you know, he's he's always making jokes about like Tim Salmon has so many bad photos, which is also true. And I grew up Tim Salmon was my first first guy I collected as a kid just because I liked his name was Salmon. But he was like an awesome player. And the irony of that, too, is like Giants went to the World Series in 2002. They played the Angels. Tim Salmon was on that team. I got to go to one of those games. Um, so I've always been a big Tim Salmon fan. And it started from just like a silly place. But he's been another one that's been fun to kind of get back into. Um, and find his stuff because he's like a fairly obscure player at this point. He was very relevant in his time, obviously one rookie of the year, all the stuff, but like, you know, you ask a kid today, they have no idea who Tim Salmon is. Um, and he's certainly like a couple tiers below the bombs and the Griffies or whatever, but he's got a couple very passionate collectors out there. Right. And my mind goes straight, goes right to Salmon, Erstad and Troy Glouse. Like those yeah, three were just yeah. like these three. Yeah. Yeah. Troy Glouse was incredible. Yeah. 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 Erstad was this football, Nebraska football player, right? Yeah. Turned someone who would just run through a wall and the three of them, yeah. they can't be separated. Yeah. And you had like Garrett Anderson and JT Snow for a little while. Yeah. I mean, 
it's funny. So another, you mentioned the challenge, like the 99 tops Chrome stuff. The next iteration of that for me, as I sort of closed in on my master set is I realized it would be fun. Well, part of this was born out of in 2019, they did a tops Chrome autograph set that is on the 1999 design. And so I've been obsessively building that. So I've built the base set and then there's like refractors and super fractors and all this stuff. Um, are you getting, I'm sorry and, to interrupt. Are you getting them raw or, or, or do you get them graded? Uh, I buy them both ways. I haven't gotten any of that set graded personally, but I have a bunch of both. Um, I don't know that I necessarily need to have those graded. The 90 stuff I like to have graded because I think it helps establish the value, but also like some of those things are pretty sensitive. Um, and I just, I like the presentation of it in a PSA slab. At the same time, I do like, I, you know, I, there's something to be said for like appreciating the card, it's just the card on its own. Um, but I ultimately, I do usually end up grading my, like the nicer, rarer 90s stuff. Um, but on the newer stuff, I don't know. I, I do have a lot of it graded, but I haven't graded any of the, of that particular set myself. Um, so if somebody was in Chicago or Phoenix or Atlanta or any other major league city and was looking to start collecting players just from their team, what kind of advice would you give them when they're just starting out to start building out a collection of players from their area? Ooh. I don't know. Start. I mean, you got to start with the players you're passionate about, which is probably a no brainer, but I think it, the advice would be to try to keep blinders on. Don't get caught up in just like, just because this guy is also a Cardinal or whatever. That's the slippery slope of feeling like you got to start buying all this stuff just because it's sort of affiliated with your focus, but it's not part of your focus. Um, and I think that's always the challenge. And I think, you know, people that collect baseball cards are, you know, collectors by nature. And I think sometimes it's probably more often than not that people have a hard time maintaining that focus. And I think we've probably all been there where we've realized we've bought a bunch of stuff that we don't know why we have it. Um, and that's not a great feeling. <laughs> uh, and so it's just a lot more fun to just have a narrower, a shorter checklist. Uh, but it's it's tricky. <laughs> my, my scope has been very wide and now I'm trying to bring it back in. <laughs> sure. And as, so as we start to wind down here, I, I want to get to some actual cards. Sure. What, what are some uh, cards, whether they're tied to Denver or, or not, some cards that yeah. you've got in your collection that you just love to own, can't believe you own, exciting recent pickups, that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, volume accumulation is known as a big, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Consigner. I've used them. Yeah. I've used them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Chris, he's a great guy. Um, and I've used him as well. And he's, uh, he's not a Rockies fan, but he happens to collect several Rockies players, but he, he has like a vast collection and I actually have an uncut sheet of this set, which is pretty obscure. That's another thing I collect is like uncut sheets of like things that strike my interest. Um, but it's been very difficult. So this is a set 1999 sports illustrated. It's not, it had cool photography. It's not a terribly interesting set for the most part. It has some interesting inserts, nothing really of major value except this one set. It was called Fabulous 40s. And there's a parallel of it called the Fabulous 40s Extra. And what's cool about it is it features 
I think it's 15 players, but everybody that hit more than 40 home runs that year, and that was the year of the great home run chase. So McGuire is 70, so it's the 66, but it's hand numbered to the number of home runs they hit. And so I've been looking for one, and Galarraga, who's in a Braves uniform, um, is in it, but Vinny Castilla as a Rocky hit 46 home runs that year. And so I was able to track this down. And so it's got it's embossed, so the player is embossed, and it has this really interesting refractor sort of appeal to it. And then you can see it's also hand numbered. Look at that down there to the number of home runs. So that's one that I was really excited to get my hands on recently. Um, and is a super cool set. And then I have this uncut sheet of this that was like poorly listed on eBay. And I was, I was, I played the long game and I was able to talk them down to a price that um, the sheet isn't embossed yet. But otherwise, it looks just like this, and it doesn't have the hand numbering. And so I'm like, well, it would be easy for somebody to have bought that, cut it up, hand number it. A lot of people have no idea that these are also embossed. And you know, the Griffey for this, I think one of them just sold at auction, and I think I think it was like four or five thousand dollars. So it's that type of stuff where like I'm excited to own that because a it prevents somebody from doing something like that, and b I'm really excited to frame it and put it on my wall. Um, That's great. And and for those who are listening. And not watching the 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 shine on that, you know, for a set that was really only around for a year or so is is really yeah. something to behold. Plus the just sort of the the charm of it being hand numbered. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it's like it has all the features. The embossed is really subtle. It's just a cool. It's a really neat card. Um, I'll show the Sean Estes that I pack pulled just for reference because that kind of. And again, these, you know, these are obviously pretty well documented at this point, but it's the California coast because he plays on the Giants. And so that was just a super cool card to to have pulled that was relevant for me. Um what else can I show? Oh, I have another big one that I and just so, remind us which Sean Estes that is. What's that? Just remind us real quick what Sean Estes that is for the listeners. Uh, Sean is just the pitcher for the Giants. Oh, this is the 1990 Metal Universe PMG. Yeah, thank you, PMG. Yeah, sorry about that. (laughs) Um, and then there's another one that was a recent edition. So I kind of view this as like the PMGs are really in the essential credentials. They were only made, you know, in their form for like one year. The PMG had technically three years in some sports and two years in baseball but every year of them is very unique and different. So like 1998 PMGs only happened in 1998, like the scope and all that stuff. Um, I feel like this parallel is like the modern PMG and people don't, some people are onto it, others are not. But in 2011, which is now iconic because it's Trout's rookie year, um, they released this Hope Diamond parallel. And so that, yeah, exactly. And so there's the Blacks to 60 and the Hope Diamond to 60. But the interesting thing about the Hope Diamond, and I don't know how, I assume most people are not aware of this, and then you know some people probably are, but they were only released in update packs. So if you buy a box of Series 1 or Series 2, there's no Hope Diamonds. But an update, all of Series 1, 2, and update were packed out in update packs. But nobody's opening update packs because they're so expensive because that's Mike Trout's rookie. So it's like whatever's out there is out there, but everything else is just locked up. Nobody's opening this stuff. And so it took me a very long time to find a Charlie Blackman rookie in this parallel. And the irony of finding this is there's a bunch of Facebook, you know, sports card groups out there. 
and it was probably two years ago i came across this post and at that time the post was like four or five years old and somebody was like hey i bought this rockies collection and this was in it and i messaged the person was like hey do you still have this i'd be interested and like two weeks ago the guy got back to me and he's like i never saw this message i'm terribly sorry but i still have it and i'm happy to trade it and so we made a trade and like <laughs> it was like two years ago i reached out and then it came back around and the guy lives you know like down in lone tree like 20 minutes from there um so that was a very exciting recent acquisition where again like it just pays to reach out or you know build these relationships but the irony is like these are impossible to find i know where like one other lives there's one on ebay and the guy wants like a thousand dollars for it and we made a trade and the guy valued it at like 150 bucks i'm like that feels right <laughs> like it's charlie blackman like come on i love charlie blackman but nobody's like Charlie Blackman doesn't have a lot of longevity uh, in this hobby as like a money maker. So, <laughs> but that yeah. is that is his best card, and yeah. not only is it his best card, but it's from this Iconic set, set that you that you really value, right? So when you think about 2011 tops, yeah, I think of the trout, but I think of the diamond, or I'm not a big fan of the cognac. It just looks like the like a dirty diamond, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then you've got this hope diamond that. Yeah. If you stumble across one, expect to pony up some cash, regardless of yeah. who the player is. Well, and they're just like it's just visually incredible to look at. And it's again, it's only one year of it, and it's got a lot of relevant players. So again, to me, it's like I feel like people are gonna look back and be like, oh my gosh, these things are impossible to find. And there's a lot of really cool players. So to me, it's kind of the same thing. And it's sort of from an era that wasn't people didn't really know, you know, what they had or what was happening in a way, in like you know, I mentioned it's like that 05, even later than that, like 07 to 2015, like tops and tops chrome parallels are they're just not that abundant. Um, and so they can be really tough to find. So um, that was a cool one. Um, and on that note, too, um, I have, I don't know if I have it over here with me. I think I might. The other thing that I'm really into is printing plates which I just am fascinated by the fact that like the plate was used to produce every copy of the card. Um, and so I don't have it with me, but I have one of the printing plates for that rookie card as well, which is pretty cool. Um, the Charlie Blackman. Yeah. The Charlie Blackman. And I think my biggest going back to being a big Trevor story collector for a time, I think my biggest hobby achievement uh, was tracking down all four granted. This was in, between 2020 and 2022. So this is four to six years after these released, but tracking down all four of his 2016 top Chrome, tops Chrome autograph printing plates. Um, and so that was an interesting adventure. And so for those of you listening, Kevin is holding up all four of the printing plates from that, you said 2014, you said? Uh, 2016. 2016 printing plates. And all essentially one of ones because they're just printing plates. But to right. but to find them after the fact, for them to get pulled and then sort of surface is like pretty unlikely. Um, so that was pretty cool, um, and I don't know, just a fun a fun thing to track down. The superfractor of that card has been lingering on eBay. He has like a fifteen thousand dollar price on it, and I'm like, I like I wouldn't want to pay cash for this card because again, it's just like. In 10 years, that card's worth $100. Like, nobody cares. Um, I would be interested to, like, trade for it at, like, a 
decent value of, you know, like a thousand bucks or something, but like, there's just no way. So I've just chalked it up as like, yeah, like I don't need it. Part of me, the completionist in me really wants to pair it with its printing plates, but yeah, it's just one of those things where you just have to let some things go. <laughs> and, and someone asking 15,000 for that makes it easy. To well, and I messaged him and he's like, I'm not expecting anywhere near that. I'm like, yeah, but like $3,000 isn't anywhere near that. And that's extreme. Like that's out of the realm of reason too. So I'm like, and he doesn't want to trade. So I'm like, okay, then I don't, I don't need to talk about a cash transaction for this. <laughs> um, but you know, what else? Oh, the other things. I'm a huge Allen and Ginter fan, um, and I like the Allen and Ginter set because a, it's you know there's a lot of there's it's cool historical premise and it has a lot of interesting subjects. Um, again, going back to like the art, and they do these like mini, you know, they, they've got all these different mini framed variations of things, whether it's autographs or parallels or whatever. And um, a couple of the years they did art like literal art cards done by different artists and so i was able to pick up as part of a big ginter rockies collection a couple of troy tulowitzki like actual art cards and so one of these um is brian kong actually they're both brian kong is the artist on them what i keep looking so those are super cool and then they're not actually they didn't actually come in these frames but I tracked down, I just picked up um, like framed relics and cut them out and put these into the frames. <laughs> but like, it's like literally little pieces of art in a frame. To me, I just really, I appreciate like the literal, but also irony of like, like sports cards or art. It's like kind of the melding of all the things I enjoy about it, which is historical significance, sports, art, uh, all in one thing. So I really, uh, those are two of my favorite pieces for sure. So you're in that last answer, you already started to answer what my really, what my last question for you is, which is, you know, all collections to some degree are autobiographical. So if somebody, mm -hmm. you know, was granted access to your collection and looked through it, what do you think that they would think about you and what it is that you're trying to collect and say about yourself based on, on the types of cards that you have and the types of, collection that you're trying to put together most prominently a sad existence as a rockies fan um <laughs> and i and like i have some obscure you know i named a lot of the big guys but like you know i've got some interesting like ubaldo jimenez cards and guys that like you know a, a general baseball fans are going to know who that is but most general baseball fans actually wouldn't give a shit about like his his cards <laughs> um and so you know again like the rockies have a pretty limited list of exciting moments or exciting seasons. Um, and so, you know, it's cool to find those things and sort of capture them and have a collection that kind of tells some of that story as a Rockies fan. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, again, this is where I'm like, I want my, I would like my collection to tell more of a story and I'm trying to get there right now. It's just too chaotic. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I I wonder about that. I'm like, if I get hit by a bus and my wife is like, okay, I have to figure out like what the hell he's doing with all these baseball cards. Is she even going to know what is what? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, what would the story be for her? I have no idea. I'm curious to know, not curious enough to get hit by a bus, but I'm curious to know. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's part of the beauty of it. I think is that aside from the, the aforementioned 
crazy bus accident, right? You know, there's there's no deadline, right? Like you're, you're trying to you're trying to tell a certain story here, and you're just sort of chipping away at it at the sides, getting to where you want to be. And if we were to have a follow up conversation a year or five years from now, I think it probably would look a lot different than what it looks like today. And that's mm. you know one of the benefits of a hobby like this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And at the end of the day, like it's a funny hobby. I think about it all the time. It's like, you're just accumulating things that you look at and appreciate. Like sometimes you watch the news, right. And you're like, are any of these things going to matter in very short notice? They might not, but it, you know, everybody kind of has their own comfort level of what's, what makes them happy, what it costs for those things, whether they're tangible or not, or experiences, everything costs money, whether it's an experience or whether it's, owning something that you look at. Um, and I think, you know, finding that balance in life is kind of the key. And at the end of the day, like there's something that makes you happy and you enjoy doing it, then you should do it. Um, but you got to be mindful of it. Not there's got to be a healthy balance of it. Um, that's kind of the key. Kevin, thanks so much. Tell people where they can find you on Instagram. It's at Colorado dot collector. Kevin, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It feels like chapter one of a longer conversation, but thanks so much for coming <laughs> sure. on. And I yeah, appreciate it. This again, appreciate so. it very much. Thanks, Dave. There is so much we can learn from a collector like Kevin. In collecting, goats are great, but they can't compete with the players whose history is a part of our history. There's just no comparison. Thanks for listening to The Shallow End. I appreciate you sharing a little bit of your day with me. And in return, I hope this episode made your day just a little bit better. I'll talk with you next time. Until then, take care. <laughs>